0: Welcome to In Any Event, the podcast about events for event planners. The podcast is brought to you by EventSquid, registration and event management software that thinks like you and works like eight of you. I'm your host, Michael Kranitz. Let's get to it. Today's guest is Tom Lewis. Tom serves as the enterprise training manager for a company called Emergency Reporting fascinating company. They serve more than 7,000 EMS and fire agencies around the world, and they handle the reporting and cloud-based documentation that these agencies need to run more efficiently and more effectively. Now, I don't claim to know what all is in the reporting or what it does, but that's why Tom's here today. And Tom came up the ladder uh, working in fire departments, battalion chief and doing all of that, and then got into the document side. So we're going to have a fascinating conversation that will be red hot with interesting tidbits about the industry, and then their event, Adapt 2020, which they had to adapt to run and make it go virtual this year. So we'll dig into that as well. Welcome to the show, Tom. (laughs) 2020
1: was a crazy fire year, wasn't it? You know, it was a crazy year in many ways uh, for agencies, around the world, COVID, you know, being one of the biggest things that we've had to cope with. And then, of course, campaign wildland fires um, throughout the United States and different different states, mine included. In fact, I live in Tucson. And so um, our northern mountain range that bounds the northern that makes the northern boundary of Tucson, uh, we had a substantial fire basically run west to, e- west to east across the whole mountain complex.
0: So tell us a little bit about what emergency reporting does so the audience can get an understanding of what you're immersed in every day. Sure.
1: So emergency reporting is the world leader in cloud-based fire and EMS EMS records management. So in other words, fire departments have to manage their data. We're the tool for that. Just as if they were to buy a fire truck, a complement of self-contained breathing apparatus, this is just one more tool in the toolbox, but it's an essential one because we're being, data drives the fire service now. You know, it's just humans are in the driver's seat. And many of us, I didn't get into the fire service to become a data manager, but here I am. And I say that when I train, because from the boot firefighter, when I say boot is your probationary, brand new firefighter, up to the chief, you're managing some level of data. Now the chief is managing pretty much the whole department's data set. um, Whereas a new firefighter might just be responsible for tracking their equipment, tracking their rigs, daily routines and things like that. And our system can accommodate all of that. We, we have 20 modules or so, actually probably more than that ultimately, but at least 20 modules in our system that enable a fire department to track all of their incidents, both what we call NFERS, which is the National Fire Incident Reporting System, um, federal-based reporting system. We're 100% compliant in that reporting platform. And we've got in many states, we are um, what's called NEMSIS certified, which is the EPCR, electronic patient care reporting. And so we provide agencies an all-in-one solution for both documenting patient encounters and running your typical fire calls or your bread and butter calls, you you know, any EMS calls and any any call for service can be documented and, and managed in our system. So your your records
0: encompass not only sort of the run of the mill. Here's our equipment. This is what we bought and this is what we need or used. But you're also talking about actual field reports. What happened? We went out. We were out there for three days. It burned three acres. That kind of
1: thing. Exactly. Full on. Inc- you know, day to day incident reports from you know, the 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 typical chest pain call all the way and up to a substantial wildland fire. Our system can scale and document those incidents but we also like you mentioned we can document the uh all of your your equipment your apparatus um, community risk reduction with our occupancy module whereby we can conduct inspections issue permits have pre plans so you know what you're getting into when you get to the incident all of that data can be stored in our system for access during an emergency or after an emergency for documentation purposes Interesting. And there's a couple of threads I want to pull here. One of
0: them is, it seems to me like an aggregation of all of that data might give you some interesting metadata about trends or you know possible predictions about what might happen in the future based on what's happened in the past or casualty rates based on, let's say, the size of the fire or or other things. Are you fielding or manipulating any of those data to come up with you know some higher level abstractions to help the the industry.
1: So we we do. And and a lot of the data that we collect, we also have, you know, because we talk about putting good data in so you can get good information out, good intel and actionable intel out. And so the answer to that is through our business. The answer is yes, through our business intelligence tool that's built into emergency reporting, we're able to uh, not only examine what's taken place in the past, but project what might occur in the future, just based on historical data. And and so it gives chief officers the ability to kind of get a feel for what next year might be like. One of the things we talk about too is um, equipment. And so you're managing your apparatus. Our system enables you to not only document everything from the time you take delivery of a fire apparatus to the time you dispose of it or retire it, but you can also measure the time it's out of service. So we know in our fire department you, where what what trucks are just reliable and solid and never give us any fits and those that you know are troublesome. Uh, we know in our gut and we, you know, we document the, the the repairs that are needed and when it's out of service, but our system allows you to put actual facts behind the gut, you know, behind the gut feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, so engine one's been out of service for, you know, you know, 20 days, you know, this year, that's not too bad, but engine 20 might be out of service for, you know, a third of the year, but you can measure that instead of just go with hunches. And so and that, that's-, that's a
0: lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no that 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 seems like it would allow these departments to op- operate more efficiently and predictively in terms of you know a- anything from a- capital asset purchase to you know what's the depreciable life of this thing when's it going to crap out and right. so like, allow <laughs> you to order the next one. That that is fascinating, and and what's really interesting to me is it probably doesn't occur to your average person uh, that there's so much going on. Uh, you know, the average person probably imagines a bunch of guys and gals in the firehouse and, you know, slide down the pole and go out there and write a report and it goes into a file cabinet. Um, but this is a whole new realm. How, how long has emergency reporting been around doing this?
1: So what you mentioned is old school and there are uh, some, a handful, perhaps more of departments that still use paper. Now, my department, used paper for a long time. And then we started using emergency reporting in 2004. Now, emergency reporting has been around since 2003. Um, it was founded in Bellingham, Washington by Dave Adams and Adrian Mintz. They are both still on our board of directors. They just recently stopped having a day-to-day role in the organization, but up until, well, Dave, last Dece- by the end of December, he was uh, active in the day-to-day uh, business development part of the company.
0: In in. And- so you've made a couple of references to your, your department. Give us a little bit on how you, you went from using the software to now being in charge of it.
1: So I was, I was very privileged, very blessed to have a 22-year career in, in, in the Green Valley Fire District, uh, south of Tucson, and retired there as a battalion chief. And so I retired in 2013, but there was a little overlap. I, became, I was asked to be a part-time trainer for emergency reporting in 2011. And I thought they called me in April and I didn't hear from them. They said, well, we're interested in having a trainer. And summer went by, didn't hear from, them, oh, they must've forgotten about me. Um, but then I get the call. We need you to come up to Bellingham for some training. And, and uh, I believe it was December. So it was cold and dark and rainy in and, and, um, Northwest Washington, but uh, it was a memorable experience. And so I was part-time for a little bit, then ultimately retired, failed retirement miserably, and basically went from one full-time job to full-time job with emergency reporting. And during my time with them, I've served as a department of defense and international trainer. I originally was a a regional trainer for for CONUS or continental United States, and then promoted to a business development analyst in, uh, gosh, when was it? I don't even remember the year time has gone by so fast, but sir, did that for a few years. And then just recently was promoted to the enterprise training manager on January 1st of 2021. Fascinating.
0: I... And I like the progression because, you know, clearly with inside knowledge of the industry, you're going to make a great advocate having watched your own department, you know, adopt and go from paper. And I want to ask you about that. What was the, you know, what was the adoption curve like? Did you have to pull teeth at first? Did people readily come on? Did they not trust it? What did you run
1: into? So that's a great question. The fire service is not often known for embracing change. And so um, it can be difficult, but what's interesting, what I found in in my department was there was that, of course, there's that initial resistance to change. Well, if what we're doing is working, why are we fixing something that isn't broken, but you don't realize how broken it is when you can't extract data from all the things that you're doing each day, writing down. And so the the music to my ears was after we had implemented um, some of this technology, the records management system, that, that they would say, why didn't we go to this sooner? Right. And, you know, there were and some of the same people that were saying, you know, why are we changing? And then once they realize that there's a benefit in it for them as well, OK, in the form of maybe we need more staffing, maybe we need new and better equipment. But now we have the data to back that up, because decision makers, whether you're in a fire district like I was governed by a fire district board or you work for a municipality where you have a city council or a town council, everybody loves a firefighter but they're not just going to can this money, right? Like after 9-11, it was a little easy, right? But since then, you've got to justify and verify your budgets and what you're going to be asking for. And the data does that. And that's what emergency reporting excels at.
0: That sounds like that was the primary hook you know, it's one thing to tell a department we're we're going to make you more efficient, but when you could translate that into dollars, uh, you know, or or engines or units, head count or whatever it is, it tends to be a little more persuasive.
1: One of my um, favorite people in the fire service, um, his name's John Erickson. He was a fire chief for the United States Army. He would talk about money, manning, and machines, and those are the three things that he had as a chief to make decisions on. But he had to make those decisions on. Based on data, because he had to go to his higher ups in, in the chain of command within the United States Army to justify why he needed this staffing at this station overseas or this equipment. And so, you know, that's always he's always left kind of an indelible mark with me on on that. And and I use that when I teach our system to to either potential customers or existing customers. And it, there is a little bit of a what's in it for me, right? When you talk about something, um, when you're you know, spending money on a records management system, what, how is this going to benefit me? But then the troops, when you have to show the troops how to use it, because the chief can't enter all the data, you've got to have all the troops entering the incidents and their, their equipment and their checks and things like that, their equipment checks. And so to get them to put in good data, you've got to explain, okay, how does this benefit me? And, you know, that's not always easy because it's hard to explain the why, right? The why is, the why matters. And usually I found is if you can explain the why behind something, you tend to get better buy-in. And so we try to facilitate that and help support the decision makers, the chief officers trying to implement a records, a a digital records, a cloud-based digital records management system. So
0: they have to have tablets or maybe devices on location tap tap enter their stuff there or do they come back to the station and do
1: that at that point? both they can okay. do both as long and, and with our system being that we're software as a service which I know you know a lot about cloud-based uh, as long as they have an internet connected device with the modern browser they can log into emergency reporting and I remember coming back from calls and I'd have my incident report either done or close to being done by the time I pulled back in quarters
0: you know this this year especially, and, and I referenced it at the top, has been really active for, for firefighters. I mean, if COVID wasn't enough, uh, we had wildfires everywhere. And c- could you tell from your data uh, as it was happening that, gee, this looks like we're eclipsing some records here? Are you able
1: to see that? We could, so we could extract, you know, Basically, you could almost think of it like the metadata. So we're not going in and checking up on our customers. You know, it's their data, right? We want to respect their data. Now we can run high-level numbers to say, okay, how many structure fires of all of our customers run in aggregate, and just have a raw number. Um, so we could do that. And so, and I'll be honest, we don't monitor it in real time. So we're not mm-hmm. we're not tracking. Okay, trends. In real time, um, someone sitting, you know, at a desk saying, "Oh, wow, we've got a spike in fires, you know, this month." Now all that data is there, but we really focus on being the repository and the platform for those individual departments to make good decisions. Do we have all? You know, I think be- besides the the federal government, we're probably in the top three or four repositories for incident data in the country. You know, because you know we've got some of our competitors as well, but I'm almost, I'm certain we are in the top three or four including the federal government. So when you have a show
0: like Adapt 2020 and I'm going to have you explain that to the audience what it is but it's essentially your annual summit who who attends that why do they attend it and w- then we'll talk about you know how you switched from a live event to a
1: virtual event this year over what I think is a 3-day span right it was a three-day span and it was it was our inaugural virtual summit and so i wish i could say i was the person who came up with the idea but i will credit that to our co-founder dave adams and he instigated the idea and uh, initiated the idea and then propelled helped propel me to success with it and so so when you ask who attended right yeah our customers, but it wasn't, Oh, we, we marketed it to the entire fire and EMS community because we had portions of adapt 2020 that were training of our system. So certainly that's going to be focused on our customers, but we had thought leaders from around the fire service community, but also outside the fire service community. We wanted to broaden and deepen um, our audience's knowledge on things like um, We had a neuroscientist, for example, she, uh, Kristen Willemeyer, and she came in and talked about biohacking your brain by, with diet and exercise, things that are common sense, but from a very scientific first perspective and why some of the things we do in the fire service um, are similar to what happens with NFL NFL players, you know, traumatic brain injury, um, things like that. And so she, she went in depth. On that, and she, she, her, her father was a firefighter, but she herself isn't one. We also brought in uh, Ben May, who retired from the Walt Disney Company as one of their marketing gurus. He came in and talked about how the American Fire Service is the most trusted brand in America, and which was inspiring and fun, fun to listen to. And so we wanted to open this up to not just our customers, but to the broader, wider. Fire and EMS community, and to bring in people to see that emergency reporting is more than than just software. Okay, that's our business, absolutely. But we also want to contribute in bigger and more important ways to the to the community. And so that's that uh, was that was the, that was the uh, part of the impetus for the event.
0: Well, and and look, I, I think that doing that is often missed. By many planners. In other words, the entrepreneurial approach to what you're doing. And it doesn't have to be all about the same thing. It's, are you providing a value add in order to get that attendee there and keep that attendee there? And it sounds like you did leverage that and all of it was contextual. So, you know, knowing that the people there would be interested in what they heard allows you to set the stage for the next event that you have. And I you know, whenever I talk with uh, our clients or prospects, I really harp on how much creativity is needed, especially now when you can't distract people with physical booths and, you know, little pop-a-shot carnival setups in in an expo hall. It's content and that's all it is. And you've got to deliver. And if you don't, they're not coming back. So it's really interesting to hear you say that and in that context, let me ask you about sponsorship. Did you have sponsors for
1: the event? So we did. Um, we, had a, we had a handful of sponsors and our global sponsor was Microsoft. Kind of a big name, huh? So A little bit. I've heard a little of bit. We were grateful to have them. And we had some other smaller sponsors that would like maybe sponsor a session or a track. And so that worked out really well. Columbia Southern University, they were our, you know, how you have the the official sponsor, a higher education sponsor of ADAP 2020, and they provided continuing education units for participants. So we were able to tie that in with credentialed CEUs, we call them, continuing education units to our participants. And so that was another value added because in the fire service, If you go to a class, you walk away with a certificate one way or another, whether it's electronic or paper, that's just kind of part of our culture. And it's part of the record keeping, right? So those certificates can be scanned into emergency reporting and recorded if you wanted to do that. Um, if They can be just digital and uploaded. And uh, it's pretty cool. So we were grateful to have that. And and then kind of to your question on, you know, why did we do it was because we knew we couldn't do something on site, in person, covid Pretty much nix that, and so we wanted to take uh, take it to the next level. We would do regional training academies where we just teach the system to new new and existing customers, and that's always a blast, and we get a lot of great feedback. But we wanted to go beyond um, that and just go broader and wider. And I had some great mentors, uh, Chief Randy Brugman from Anaheim. He retired from Anaheim Fire um, with his connections. And longtime history is just extremely well respected. Without him, something that we wouldn't be able to get for a first-time event, some of those those speakers, because we brought in some heavy hitters, some some well-known names in the fire service community. How many how many attendees did you have?
0: About 350. Could you tell of the 350 who registered whether they were what portion of them were there for day one versus day two
1: versus day three? Well, the reason we could do that is thanks to EventSquid, the data, the ability to extract data from EventSquid. I was able to put together some serious reports for our senior leaders on the post-session surveys on the speaker in the session. Uh, we did a we did a post-event survey. We sent out to everybody using the communication center in EventSquid. And yeah, I'm bragging on you guys because it was a great, you know, it, it was a, it's been a great tool for us. And so we uh, we sent them the survey and. All but two of the people that responded said that they would attend ADAPT 2021 if we did another one. So we were pretty excited. And it was like, you never get 100%, but just two people, really? So, so we were, gra- we're grateful. You know, we're super grateful. And, and we are in the early stages of planning ADAPT 2021. And I've already talked to some of the speakers that came on for 2020. They're on for 2021. They're ready to jump in.
0: So, you know, I got to ask. Did did you flip the script? And because you started with this virtual event, you set that expectation. Does this look
1: preferable to a live event to you now? So, I can tell you that from an overall cost perspective, doing a virtual event of this magnitude is probably the way to go. Now, would it be a blast to get everybody in the same conference room and do like a, you know, you know, like Apple and Microsoft do their big announcements and have conferences and 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 you know, whether it's in Vegas or wherever, sure, that would be fun. Uh, my guess is that we'll continue down the virtual path with these these virtual summits, and then we'll come back. We'll go back into doing some of our on-site training in the second half of this year, and so we'll wind up using EventSquid for both, right? Our online events because we have. April and May, we're going to be doing online training academies, a beginning online training academy for existing users that just want to get a little better in the system. And then we're going to have an advanced one where power users, the data analysts, the chief officers want to get in there and and go right, go deep into the system. Um, And so we've got those planned and built in EventSquid for April and May.
0: This kind of feedback, and we try to get it from all of our clients, is instructive to me at an industry level as we're going through this meandering period of uncertainty where companies don't know if they can go live. And some who know they could go live might affirmatively opt not to, provided they can get the engagement levels up on their virtual events. And so one of the things I'm I'm curious about, what was the average number of people in each session. Did you have any time within the session for a sponsor to speak maybe off topic or maybe on their own
1: product? Did you do any of that? So we made sure that we associated the sponsor with the session or the track, you know, to answer that part of your question. And, but we didn't, well, Microsoft had, so for example, Microsoft, they, we actually asked them to bring in some of their subject matter experts. And so they, where they've not only participated in our opening comments with our CEO, but they also had, I think, two, maybe three sessions throughout the whole event where they shared, it wasn't about the fire service. It was about technology in public safety.
0: And oh, so, fascinating.
1: Yes. And so we had we had them speak exclusively in a single session. And then to you had asked how many people per session. It varied from, we, we had some that were 30, 40 for typical session, but then the general sessions right at the beginning of each day, a couple hundred easily.
0: So on the, on the smaller ones, did, did people come on screen
1: with their videos? So what we did in order to preserve bandwidth was we, we are, of course, our speakers were on, on camera. And then if they had questions, they could turn on their camera and their microphone, but in order to preserve bandwidth and to uh, minimize interruptions, cameras were off and mics were off.
0: And who did you use as a streaming provider
1: well you you this might come as a surprise with Microsoft as our sponsor, yeah. but it was teams so That's well important. we we use um our systems hosted in Microsoft Azure oh perfect and and our ultra secure um, is in Microsoft Azure, which we serve our de- Department of Defense customers with. And so we've had an established relationship. And I wish I'd love to have Dave Adams here with us today. He's one of the co-founders of the company. He is the consummate people person um, and just a true gentleman, man of integrity. And he has a way of building relationships and I just watched and, and just watching on. All of a sudden, Microsoft is—we've got their, you know, director of public public safety and justice as a speaker. You know, I wish I could take credit for it, but I was along for the ride and was just grateful that we could do that. So it's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's a beautiful yeah, it was, thing. It, it was great. It was really a good experience. And one one other thing that I like to mention too is that there are platforms out there that have those virtual booths, like it would be a trade show. Yes. We purposely wanted to stay away from that and stay focused on content delivery. Where and 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 certainly sponsors can deliver that content, but you can't. It's too. I believe it's too difficult to do a trade show virtually and and effectively. And then we didn't want it to be a sales event, right? So, hmm. and and,
0: and, you, and your your thought is, I think the prevailing thought in the industry, until we have haptic suits and uh, first person <laughs> goggles, uh, the I think the walking, the virtual 3D second life kind of, you know, early internet stuff, it doesn't work. So yeah, I, you know, I agree with you on, on the whole fakey fake 3D trade show. We had one client who told us that they put uh, gift cards. If you went in and visited the booth, you got a gift card and nobody went in. Oh my and so goodness. I was, you know, and I wasn't shocked, but part of me was, I mean, like, you know, if you could pay people, you would think, but that's not engagement. If I have to pay you to go there, it means that uh, the the sponsor maybe wasn't attractive enough. And that's why doing uh, isolated presentations where you carve a section of time out of the schedule to say, hey, you know, pick one of these three to attend. And they're each given by one of our sponsors. And then people self-select, you, you'll know popularity right away and ahead of sure. time. And then away they go. And my my bet is the ratings on the Microsoft uh, sessions were pretty high,
1: right? They were high because they were they were they were high because well, one they were very good speakers, and two they knew their stuff, and three it was relevant to the audience, right? It was not okay. We're going to talk fire, and we all love talking different fire topics, but this was different, and it, it expanded. It, it gave them more. More depth, a different kind of knowledge, you know, from an industry that's fascinating, right? Especially if you're in the fire service industry, technology is playing a greater role in so many aspects of what we do day in day, day in and day out. And Microsoft's a part of that. You know, a lot of there's a lot of technology companies that are a part of it, but certainly Microsoft. And again, with them, with their Azure hosting our sys, our platform, um, you know, they're an integral part of keeping our data safe, which in turn keeps our customers' data safe.
0: Is there anything else? in terms of your event any any pieces of wisdom that you brought from your experience at Adapt 2020 that you would share with a fellow planner who has to come up against some of
1: the same constraints in terms of physical versus virtual and the like so um, have a plan you know have a have a plan in place have a vision right have a vision for how you want to execute it right i knew that as we were vetting vetting vendors to ho- you know host our event when we saw the virtual trade show, yeah, no, I didn't want that. I knew that I couldn't be sold on, you couldn't sell me on that. I, I wanted something that was very much content focused and allow us to deliver that content effectively. Then the next thing you do is get in there and learn the software that you're gonna use to manage it. There are so many nuances, I'm still learning. I mean, there's always, we, I train, I teach our software. I know that when you first see a new software, there's a period of disorientation where you're going, where do I begin? And so that was that's been my job with with emergency reporting is to help them begin and to be successful with it. So take advantage of what in your case EventSquid offers to learn the system, and don't be afraid to click around and 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 learn the system because sometimes you're going to discover things that you might not otherwise find, even if you read a knowledge base article. And so you know. Don't be fearful. You know, don't be fearful. Usually you can fix things if you break them.
0: Tom Lewis, uh, Enterprise Training Manager for Emergency Reporting. Thank you today for your time and your insights. I think this will be very entertaining for our audience to learn about your experiences and to uh, get a little taste of the world of EMS.
1: So thank you fire, for joining yeah, us. Fire and EMS. And thank you for having me. Um, I feel privileged to be here today. I've had a, uh, and I say this with all sincerity, I've had a two blessed careers, right? in 22 uh, years in the fire service and now starting my 10th year with emergency reporting. So I'm very grateful.
0: We'll look forward to working with you in the years to come.
1: Uh, me too. Take care.
0: In any event is brought to you by EventSquid. If you're running a conference, meeting, training, or any other type of event, visit eventsquid.com to learn about how our software can help you manage everything from registration to promotion and virtual event organization. EventSquid thinks like you, works like eight of you. Also, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and let your planner colleagues know what the new squids on the block are doing. If you know of a guest we should have, please visit eventsquid.com and click the podcast menu item for more information. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. We're planning on it.